Welcome to Founder Radio. I'm your host, Hugo. In this podcast, you'll hear in-depth conversations with the globe's most exciting company founders. We'll talk about their ideas, their successes, their challenges, and their learnings along the way. At Founder Radio, we celebrate founders. And we believe that innovative founders are critical to deal with the challenges humans face. They are society's explorers and work in uncertainty to expand their practical knowledge each and every day. Building something from scratch requires creativity, intelligence, conviction, and endurance. Get inspired and learn from those that are changing the world. Nico, welcome to Founder Radio. Hey, Hugo. It's great to be here. Fantastic to have you. For everyone, Nico um, hails from Belgium. He's been a competitive sailor in his youth, even being part of Team Belgium. After an MBA in London, he started his career at Unilever, and we met when he was uh, working at Uber. He's now a general manager there, working in Egypt and India, flying all over the place. He challenges himself in running Ironmans, cycling, and is actually preparing for an insane race that we'll get to talk about uh, a little later in the podcast. And he's the founder of Ride, chain of boutique fitness studios. Nico, welcome again. Great to have you. Thanks, Ivo. Could you tell me in a nutshell, like what does Ride do? Yeah, so Wright is a, I think you nicely summarized it, is a, is a chain of boutique sports studios. Um, we founded it about a year and a half ago. Um, and I think the idea originated um, from, uh, from me living in Amsterdam and actually going to a lot of these uh, boutique sports studios. Um, my co-founder, Frederick, and I um, spent a lot of time going to these. And um, then we're coming to the idea of like, why don't we start something like that in Belgium? Um, and if you look in general, like Belgium is always like a few years um, behind certain trends um, that are happening in the, in the US or, or to some extent in the Netherlands. Uh, so we don't yet have that concept of boutique sports studios. Um, so that's how we, where we decided, look, it's, it's one of our passions. We love doing it. It doesn't exist yet in Belgium. And I think uh, the words of a Belgian economist, uh, Paul de Grauwe, uh, resonated with me, which he says that some of the best running businesses are not about reinventing the wheel. They're taking, they're about taking them from another country or taking from a, con- from a country where the concept already exists and already works and then translating that in, in the country where you want to launch. Um, so that's what we're doing. Uh, we're not reinventing the wheel. Um, we're just bringing it, um, we're bringing it to Belgium. Awesome. And, and what drove you to start a business in the first place? You already had a pretty busy job. Uh, I know you spent a lot of time in Egypt, in Belgium, in Amsterdam. Uh, a lot of people would have said, hey, this is busy enough for me. Let's tune down a little bit. And you figured, hey, let's, let's start a business in addition to that. <laughs> yeah, let's crank it up a notch. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting thought process. I don't think there was anything like unique about the way we thought about it. I think we had the same dream or the same thoughts that a lot of people have, which is like, oh, I would love to do something on my own. Or, oh, I would love to start a business. And I think that's a very global and universal thought that a lot of people have. Um, And we'll talk about some of the sports uh, uh, things, but I think that 
the the idea behind it was the same thing. And it's like, let's challenge ourselves uh, and let's challenge myself and see if I can if I can actually do it. Uh, if it's a thought, why not put it into practice? Um, and that's why we're like, we wanted to start the business. Now, I would be lying if I say like I had this urge or this, whenever I started working, I had this passion to start something on my own. That's not that. I'm not this... Uh, uh, I'm not the Elon Musk or, or the visionary thinker that wants to do and build and invent things. Um, but I did have, have that drive and that excitement um, to go and start something or try to go and start something on my own. There's definitely a bunch of learnings that we should talk about these, but that's how it came into effect. Got it. Got it. And was that, did you, was the urge to start something and you took a method, methodological approach of thinking of different options, or was it really a passion about this this new way of getting fit, this new way of like socially engaging in, in fitness that you wanted to bring to Belgium? Yeah, I think it was, it was a healthy combination of the two things you're mentioning. Um, there was this drive of like, we want to try and start something. And then my view is a little bit like, I mean, where can I... Where can I, as Nico, add value? And that's probably in something that you have a bit of knowledge on, a bit of passion about. Um, and that, for me, was the sports industry. Um, and then it was looking for something like, okay, where can we, where can we start something in that, within that vicinity of that passion um, and that interest? And that's where we ended up with, like, hey, we see something work very, very well in the Netherlands and in Amsterdam in particular. And, hey, this is something we love doing. Let's add up one and one and go, mm -hmm. go start it and then try it. Got it. Yeah. I'm super intrigued as well by this new phenomenon of, I'd call it boutique fitness or classes. When I zoom out and think back, uh, probably 50 years ago, no one at all bothered to even do any sports or was very, very mm -hmm. limited. People started running at some point. You'd, you'd be very sportive if you do a little run once a week, you're all running clothes. And more and more doing sports is getting, I think, more sophisticated, more uh, social, better organized, better looking as well. The, the design of Riot, for example, is absolutely incredible. How do you, what do you make of that trend and where do you think it's going? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a very interesting one because um, what we are seeing is that people have less time and people want to spend their time more efficiently and this idea from back in the days where you drive to your gym you would spend an hour an hour and a half in the gym you would chat to the folks there you would stay behind and have another drink i remember my parents used to do that that for them it was like an evening activity they would spend two three hours going to the gym with friends and then having a beer or a drink afterwards, maybe even eat something. I think that is definitely shifting and people try to be more efficient with their time. And then the question is, what is a good way to spend that time efficiently? And here we see that these like 45, 50 minutes, high intensity workouts are a very efficient way to still get the same effect, but to do it in 45 to 50 minutes. So I think that's the first piece, which is like, how can you go about more efficiently with your time? The second thing is that we've seen a bit of a dip in the, in the early 2000s where sport was considered a bit boring, like people missed a little bit the excitement in it. Um, and I think that's the second trend we were seeing is that people wanted to do something that's 
actually fun again. Mm. And the type of workouts that a lot of boutique studios, or at least at Wright, that we offer is like the fun factor is also super important for us. It's like, it's basically like dancing on a bike. Um, so we offer a 45 minute like rhythm ride on a bike. And it's basically like you come in, music's on, it's dark, and you go, like we say, it's like a party on a bike, right? So that's the second element, which I think is important, is that like the entertainment factor becomes a much bigger uh, um, mm. uh, component into it. And then the third piece is people want something that they just have to walk in. Everything's there for them. Someone holds their hand, tells them exactly what to do. They get their towel, they get their cool minted towel afterwards. They get their water bottle already in there on their bike or, or next to their running treadmill. And then someone tells them exactly what to do, right? They don't want to think, they don't want to like, they don't just want someone to guide them through the high, to the whole experience. And that's the third piece, which is like, we deliver an end-to-end -end experience for the customer. You just have to show up. Ideally, you're wearing sports clubs, but you just have to show up and we take care of all of this. So I think if you take these three the broader trends into account, I think that's what's a big driver behind the success of the boutique industry in general. And that's a trend that we are trying to capture at Wright. That makes a lot of sense. The, when I think of Wright, it, the, the design is so, it's really, really, looks really, really cool. You're saying it's almost a party on a bike. It's a cool thing to do and a cool thing to be in. Do you think there's some like a social or almost cultish element as well that it's like, it's, it's a club you want to belong to? Yeah, that's a, it's a very sensitive topic. And, and we had a few like newspapers when we opened, they asked exactly the same thing, which is like, aren't you creating like a bit of an elitist club, right? Where like, everyone's gonna look good. Um, everyone's gonna be like into sports. It's like, uh, um, yeah, it, it feels very high end and exclusive. Um, that's, I can imagine that's an image that some of the boutique studios want to portray. And definitely like in Amsterdam, you see that with a few studios. That's something we try to shy away from very, very much. Like we are very, very open that our studio is there for everyone. Whether you're a first time sporter or you're a seasoned athlete, the amazing thing about our 45 minute workouts, be it the high intensity uh, training or we call it the hit training or the bike training, is that regardless of your level, you can make it as hard or as easy as you want. It's also in the dark. No one cares how hard your neighbor is going, how much weight they're pushing, how fast they're going on the bike. You are there for your own workout. And I think that's very important. It's still a message that we're struggling to deliver to the clients. Because if you look at like the socials, for example, they feel like very like high end and, and they look exclusive. Um, but that's absolutely not the image that we want our customers to have. It's like everyone's welcome. The second thing I would say is around pricing, right? If you if you look at some of these studios, Amsterdam is okay, but look at London, for example. These studios are very expensive, 30 euros a class. Like that automatically creates a bit of a segregation in who can actually pay for these classes and who can join these. And also here, we've taken a very different approach. Um, at rides, our classes are less than half of that for a drop-in. And they go to like sub 10 euros if you buy a mm -hmm. pack. Um, so we also want to make it like economically very accessible um, to people. The last piece 
would say, uh, Hugo, is around the, um, the concept of subscriptions. Um, and I think that's a very important thing to note as well. It's, it's different in the Netherlands. The Netherlands has already moved away from the concept of subscriptions. But Belgium is still very traditional, old school. You buy a subscription of a gym and then you don't end up using it or you go once a month and you feel bad about it, but you're locked in for 12 months. Mm -hmm. We want to move away from that, right? We want to give power to the people that they pay for exactly what they use. So that's why we're working with the concept of class cards. And, and again, here, this is again to your comment around like, is it a cult? Is it a... No, no, we give power to the people to decide if, when, and how they want to come. But we encourage everyone to come. And you also see that with the instructors. They're very welcoming to first timers, um, um, uh, regardless of your fitness level. So I think that's a very important nuance. But there's a bit of a split, of, uh, a bit of a split in that sense, in the boutique sports industry. Yep, got it, super clear. Um, one of the things I'm, uh, I've alluded to a couple of times and I'm very impressed with is the design of Wright. Everything looks amazing. The website, also the physical building, the socials, uh, and it's all um, designed in a very consistent way. And, and it, it's, it looks cool, but it's also very novel and very creative. Could you, Talk us through how you approach that and how you landed on this design eventually. It, it, there's, there's a good lesson in there for me and, and potentially also for, I think, entrepreneurs or people who want to start a business in general. Um, we had a long discussion around like the importance of marketing, branding, the visuals. And mm -hmm. you and I both, right? We come from a very like analytical background that grits numbers, numbers, numbers. I'm not necessarily very strong at this branding and marketing. And I also, frankly, challenged a lot of the value that we could get from it. Um, but my co-founder, he's on the other side. He's very creative. He understands the impact that a brand, visuals, et cetera, can have. So where we landed is one of the first decisions we've taken, right, is we've taken a marketing um, agency. Um, it was super expensive for us as a starting business. It was very, very expensive. Um, but they helped us come up with a name. They helped us come up with a, a logo, with a brand, with colors, with the, the, the image we want to portray. And we are still today thriving of that investment that we've made there. Um, so I think one of the main lessons from, from starting a business is think through very carefully what you want your brand to look like, what the image is that it wants to portray. Mm -hmm. Because exactly what you're telling me is, oh, it looks so nice. The socials look so professional. We absolutely have no idea what we're doing, right? We're running this business for a year, but you have the perception like, oh, these guys know exactly Absolutely. what they're doing. And that's all thanks to the branding and the investment we've made up front in a nice logo, in nice taglines, in, in, in nice colors, in visuals, etc. So that's so, so important because it portrays the image that these guys know exactly what they're doing. Uh, they're in the industry. It feels high end. I want to be part of that. Um, and that's all thanks to, to, to the branding and the agency that, uh, that we've worked with. So... Um, it's very important. It should not be underestimated. And it's something that rational folks uh, or, or rational people like you and, and myself would maybe underestimate or not spend enough 
intentions. Yeah, absolutely. But when you see it and it's done very well, it, it really becomes very clear like how valuable it can be. I encourage everybody to check it out, write-studios.com. It's really, really cool. Um, could you, you tell me a little bit about sort of the values you started off with when you started thinking about the design? Because you mentioned, hey, you need to start off with what kind of message, uh, what kind of image do you want to portray? Are there a couple of keywords that you started off with? Yeah, it's it's interesting, and and again here you should speak to my co-founder on this, who who, who can tell you all the emotions you want the people to feel when they see the brand. This is probably a bit further away from my area of expertise, which is hanging over Excel files and and uh, and looking at PLs. Um, but I think the image that the 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 marketing agency wanted to portray is. They, they wanted to create, this is where the name right also comes from. So right, obviously there's a word play on right to right, which obviously linked to bike. But if you look at it in the literal meaning of the word, it means right, it means ritual, um, and it means ceremony. And it, they wanted to have it something a bit culty, a bit like community, a bit dark, mysterious. And, and that's what you'll also see in our socials. It's a bit like socials are a bit darker, um, a lot of black and white. Um, they, the marketing agency wants to go Berlin underground. Um, we, we thought that was probably pushing it a little bit uh, for a sports studio. Um, I, I think just to give you a concrete example, the, the right, the T is currently uh, the horizontal mm -hmm. bar of the T is on top of the T. They wanted to lower it a bit, so it became a cross. Um, and I don't know if you know the band Justice, but it's a, it's, it, it, it's a, a band or a DJ collective, actually. And they play, would play their DJ sets with like an, an, um, a glow-in-the-dark cross behind them. And they wanted to go for that like underground, uh, underground culty vibe. We thought that that was a bridge too far. Um, so we lifted the horizontal bar of the T to not represent the cross, also because of might be offensive to some other um, to some folks, um, but um, but that's a little bit the, the image that we wanted to do is a bit like culty underground cool. I want to be part of it. It's mysterious, and every boutique studio there's no right or wrong answer on this, but you do got to differentiate yourself versus what's out there, and there's a few. Uh, um, spinning or beat-based writing studios in Amsterdam that are all like joy and like woohoo, white and light blue colors and an orange and this is healthy, etc. We wanted to differentiate ourselves from it from like a bit cooler, a bit darker, a bit grimmer and a bit mysterious. Um, and that's how we, how we wanted to differentiate and then that's actually come out pretty well. And you see that also in the design of the studio. It's a lot of like black, dark, but then with, with lighter tints here and there. So the important thing here of, of the branding and, and what you, you want people to feel is that it's consistent between your physical location, your website, your socials, and, and how, you, um, how you portray it. Yeah, absolutely. I think you did a, an incredible job at that. If you look at the business right now, um, how do you think about the future? Well, where do you want to go and what's the dream you have for right? Yeah, so we, we started off with one studio um, last year. We're opening up our, our second one soon. Um, and the debate we were having is 
you can do two things. One is you can expand your existing offering geographically, or you can expand your offering locally. I'll, I'll explain what that means. So we have two concepts at the moment, which is a bike concept, uh, which is a rhythm riding 45 minutes on the bike. And we have a hit concept, which is multiple stations it's between a treadmill, mm-hmm. on the floor exercises, and a bench where you do exercise with weights. So it's, it's more of a slightly more strength-based focus. Also 45 minutes, also high-intensity music is central. Um, so we were thinking, should we add other different trends in Antwerp itself? Think about like the trends that are very popular now are reformer Pilates, for example. Bar is another one. Boxing is another one. So do we want to go broader in the product offering we have within Android? Or do we want to extend our existing concept, being bike and hit, to other cities, to Ghent, to Brussels, to who knows where, maybe there are other places in Europe. And that's a very tough, tough debate. Both come with pros and cons. Um, we, for now, have decided that we're going to focus on Antwerp. Um, and we're going to go wider there in terms of disciplines. Main reason for that is we know the market. People know the brand. Like, right? Everyone, like, I was, a friend of mine was telling me the other day, she's on a WhatsApp group that's, like, the right group. Or, like, let's go writing. Like, it, it becomes, like, a, a verb. So in Antwerp, we've built that brand uh, that strong brand, and we want to ride that wave and expand into some different um, disciplines. Um, but in parallel, we're also looking at uh, geographic expansion with some other concept, but it's probably a, a P2, as we said, Uber, so it's probably slightly less of a priority at the moment, and we're focusing on, um, on expanding within Antwerp in our product offering. You've also told me that... Um setting up right was stressful at times. Could you elaborate a little bit on what you really struggled with and what was tough at times while setting up the business? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's definitely my, my respect for entrepreneurs has grown massively in the year and the year and a half. Um, and I've also come to the realization that I am probably not a great entrepreneur. Um, and I think that that's been a very tough realization. Um, but it's come also with a, a, a massive increase in, in respect for people that do take um, take the, the step to go and, and, and start their own business. Um, and the main reason why I don't think it's for me um, is the amount of stress that that comes with. Um, you as a person, this is nothing, I mean, you people have also stress in their jobs. We, you and I used to work at Uber. It's a, one might say a stressful job to some extent because you have a lot of responsibilities. But I felt a whole different level of responsibility, nervousness, anxiety, and stress while opening right. And where this is coming from is that all of the sudden, financially, you are invested in all of this. And uh, the financial stress is, is one of the things, but also all of a sudden your, your reputation, your name, your time, everything is on the line. You're making so many investments towards your family, your job, um, that it, it creates a very, very large amount of, of stress. And for some people, that's excitement. Uh, that stress is excitement. 
because it's like, fuck yeah, let's go for it. Let's try it. Um, for other people like myself, that creates a fair amount of negative stress. And uh, I very, very much underestimated um, the, the impact that that had. How the second you thing I that? think. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. No, 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 no. I, I was going to say, uh, you know, that the second thing for me is like, it, it, it was also a very big step coming from Uber, where you work with rational people, um, where you work with everything kind of works. Um, and the worst thing is like, my laptop broke down today and I need to get a new laptop, right? Um, <laughs> and it and, might take an hour before I have a new one. Yeah, and then I go and complain to IT and why is it taking an hour, right? Um, the, the kind of problems you have when you start a business are of probably a similar magnitude. They're, they're not necessarily that much different, but they're all of a sudden touching you directly as a person. Um, and um, yeah, that, that comes, you need a lot of mental res resilience um, in, in that sense. And that I think is a, is a very good learning and also something that should not be underestimated and frankly, something that should be praised much more. Mm -hmm. Um, in existing entrepreneurs, because you hear all the success stories, right? Mm -hmm. You hear the people that get the funding. You hear about the people that grow their business, that uh, um, uh, um, make it a successful business. But behind all these people, there's 95 other people who are going through like daily amounts of like stress, failure, problems, financial uh, tightness. Like, and I think, yeah, Again, my respect has grown, but I think also a lot of entrepreneurs deserve, successful or not, deserve more, even more respect for, for what they're doing there. At least they have my, totally. a lot of my respect. Totally. That's one of the reasons for this podcast to exist. Could you, like, I'd love to go a, a, a level deeper on the, on the how did you cope with that stress? Maybe pick an example situation, or maybe there's a parallel with a sports challenge. Like, uh, mentally and psychologically, how did you powered through in cases of high stress? Yeah. Um, so the, the first six months have been very, very tough for me personally. So I also went to get like professional counseling advice. And that's something that um, I, I would also highly, highly recommend uh, to people to do. Like mental well-being or mental health is something, especially amongst men, is not, not spoken enough about and is not discussed enough about. And it's okay not to feel okay, or it's okay to have like anxiety, be nervous, etc. Do get professional help in that sense. Um, and I think that helped me, that helped me a lot. I think that it's a very straightforward answer, um, but it is one that unfortunately too few people do. Um, and I've seen it when I spoke to like, some of my male friends that are going through varying challenges in their personal life. And, and I was like, have you considered counsel? Oh, no, 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 no. Well, I'm not going to go and lay on a, on a bench and like talk about my feelings, right? But that's exactly what you should do. Um, so I think that's the first piece. The second piece is find a balance. And this, this again, hardcore entrepreneurs will not love what I'm going to say next, but what I've done is that I've not dived in with my two feet forward. Um, I've kept my job out of it. And um, again, real entrepreneurs would say, fuck everything, go full force into your business. Potentially, 
right? Uh, uh, potentially, for me, it's worked very, very well that I have my job at Uber because um, it gave me mental rest. Like I, like I didn't have the mental stress of like every month your balance goes down, 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 yeah. down uh, in your business. But two, it also gave me gave me um, something to hold on to when it comes to like working with like sane, rational uh, 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 people, which also like for me from like shifting from from right, where sometimes you work with a different set of people um, to working with like very rational one plus one is two kind of people. So I think here again, my second advice would be find a balance. Still make sure that you invest the right amount of time and it doesn't slow down your business. Um, but, um, but, Find, find a balance that works for you. And for me, that was keeping my job at Uber. So I somewhat have, have a peace of mind uh, financially, but then also like um, to, to, um, to, to work with, with kind of people that are more closer to. Um, and then the, the third piece I would say is don't, don't feel like you... Think about what you like about your the business you're about to start um, and continue to do that. Think about what are the things you don't like about your job and outsource these or find someone to do it. And again, I'll give you a very tangible example because it might sound a bit high level, right? For me, one of the things I didn't get any energy out of was actually being in the studio, uh, was actually... Um, um, checking in people, sorting problems very operationally in the studio. And the reason why I didn't like that it is it create, created for me a bit of an anxiety spiral being there. Um, so what would happen is the air conditioning would break down. Again, I'm going into a very granular example, but for you to visualize what I mean. So the air conditioning would break down. What would happen next is that people would come out of the class like dripping sweat, right? Um, the, the, train of thought in my head that happened was like air conditioning broke down, people come out sweating. That, these were objective observations. Now comes the subjective part. My thoughts was like, people are going to be very unhappy. They're not going to like right. They're not going to come anymore to right. Competition is going to be better than us. They're all going to move to competition. We're going to go backwards. Right? And this all started from the air, condition, air conditioning broke down to we are going to go bankrupt. Um, and that was that was one of the, the, the things that created a lot of was one example of how an anxiety spiral happened for me. So my takeaway was like I need to get away from the studio because um, that's not where I get my I get my energy from spending time in the booking tool and reading through the numbers and looking at the monthly PM. Um, <laughs> so my my second piece of advice would be is like continue to do what you like in your job, but outsource what you don't like. Speak to your co-founder, hire someone. Right. Like for me, it was still better to keep my job at, at Uber to some extent and, and, and fund, use that money to fund someone to be in the studio because that would give me peace of mind and would allow me to focus on something uh, um, that I like. So think through quite early on in the stage what you like in your, in, in, in your startup. What are the things you don't like? And you won't always, you always need to do some things you don't like, right? Like you can't own a restaurant and not be there once in a while. Um, but you can find a balance. You can find a balance. And the last piece Hugo, I'll, I'll, I'll share is it's, and again, this sounds like relationship therapy, but it's about communication. And um, when we went to the bank, or sorry, to the notary in Belgium to start our 
our, our business. It was my co-founder and me. And he was like, how do you want to split the shares? And we were like, well, uh, what do you mean? We were like 50-50. And, and he was like, well, that's fine if you want to do 50-50, but what if something happens and like you can't make you can't make a decision? And we were like, oh, well, I mean, we're good friends. This is not going to happen, right? And he said, I'm just going to give you the numbers as I do with marriage and, and people getting divorced, right? But he said that 60% of uh, failed companies is because of co-founders being locking horns and not getting a way out because they're both like 50% shareholder. So he's like, don't you want to consider adding one person that has 1% of the shares? You both decide who it should be and then give that third person 1% so that you don't get stuck and at least you can move your business forward with a decision on that third person. Now, I'm giving you that example to say that um, communication is super important. As it is in a relationship, it is in, in a in a business and I'm very lucky in touch with, with my co-founder that he's been very understanding of some of like the challenges I've been facing and the other way around where I'm like, I don't like to be in a studio, which is a bit of a worrying feedback if you just started a physical boutique studio. But he was, yeah, he was very positive um, about it. And I think that communication flow is, is key as a third piece of how you manage uh, um, some of that anxiety and communication. Really appreciate you um, being so open and sharing these these thoughts and recommendations. How I hope it, it can also help listeners that that find themselves in a stressful situation. Equally, what I find fascinating is you started with um, I'm looking for a challenge, right? And that was part of the reason for mm. for starting right. And I know you as someone who loves to jump into challenges. And I know I know others that run a, a marathon every every now and then, but you take that to a different level. You're preparing for a thousand kilometer, three day cycling race, for example. You've done the marathon, the sable. Could you um, speak a little bit about like what what is it in you that needs that challenge? And and equally with the challenges as with uh, with with challenges in business, how do you power through? And how do you um, build the mental fortitude to do something like the, the Marathon de Sable or a thousand kilometer cycling race? Yeah. Um, thanks, Hugo, for that question, because it's also a question I've been discussing a lot with my therapist, so it feels like a bit mm. like going to therapy. <laughs> uh, but, then, but then with you. Um, I think your observation is the right observation, which is I do tend to go or think or do things a little bit in extremes. Um, why not run 5K? Why do you have to run a marathon? Why do you have to run 250 kilometers through the desert? Why not do a job? Why do you have to run two jobs at the same time? One in India, one in Middle East, and then even start a business in, in Belgium. Um, there seems to be like in a lot of my, the things I do and a lot of the behavior, it always has to tend into extremes. Um, and that has a lot of upsides. And, and the upside of that is you're ambitious. You go for things full force. You um, challenge constantly on a daily basis yourself. But that also comes with a lot of risks and downsides, which is you're burning yourself up. You're doing before thinking. Um, and then that can have a lot of mental health um, challenges as well. But I'll focus on the positive part here, which is... Um, 
challenging yourself. I, I get a lot of energy, and this is very people or person dependent, but I get a lot of energy out of people saying it can't be done. Um, and that's where I started my annual physical challenge, um, or that's the idea of the annual physical challenge, where the only criteria the physical challenge has to have is at the beginning of the year, I have to say, what the fuck, I could never do it. So there has to be this what the fuck level to it. Um, and for the people listening in, it's basically something I started six years ago where every year I do a physical, um, physical challenge. It ranges from, as Ship said, the first one I think was the Marathon de Sable, but then there's been, uh, there was an Ironman there. I tried to run a marathon below three hours. actually went to North Korea to run that, which is another example of, I mean, go run it in Amsterdam like normal mm -hmm. people do, right? Why do you have to go to North Korea? That's um, just the what the fuck factor, for sure. It has the what the fuck factor, 100%. Tick that box. Um, but then there's also um, an, a, a, the highest active volcano in Iran. Like, we tried to climb that and ski it down. Um, now there's a thousand kilometer cycling race. So um, I do get a lot of energy out of doing these kinds of challenges. And I think starting the business. I did with exactly the same mindset, which is like, let's go do it. Let's try it. I don't think I can at the moment, but let's go and do it, try it. And while with the sports challenges, that has worked relatively well for me. I think with starting the business, I could have potentially given it a bit more thought. Because <laughs> um, here, you're not just with sports, it was always myself I'm challenging. I'm always like pushing myself. If I hurt someone, it's myself I'm hurt. Um, With starting a business, the reason why I think I could have thought it through is because now you're impacting other people's lives. And this is my, my co-founder being the main one. And if you start a business with someone and after six months, that person comes to you and says like, I get anxiety attacks, I'm depressed, I want to stop with the business. You as a co-founder go, what the fuck, right? We've just sunk a whole bunch of money in this. We got funding for this. We have people's earnings and lives depending on us. And now after six months, you go, you're depressed, a bit scared, and you want to back out. Like, <laughs> that's not an easy message, right? And again, I'm very grateful that my co-founder is mature in that. But that's, and that's one of the times where I'm like, okay, your whole attitude of like, oh, let's challenge myself. Let's go do something I don't think I can, the what the fuck level. This one I could have probably thought mm. through a bit more. Um, Equally, you would not be where awesome. you are right now. So in that sense, I can definitely see. I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a large or huge pro for that as well. Um, focusing in a bit more on the sports challenges, could you take um, maybe the most extreme one and then take us to the finish of that? Like, what was the feeling you had when you made it, when you made it at a probably a good time? Like, what, what went through you and how did you experience that? So with these sports challenges, I have just like my respect for entrepreneurs has grown through um, starting my own business. My respect for people challenging themselves in sport has also massively grown. And I think one thing I want to reiterate for the people listening in is that while I'll talk about a challenge, which is I'll, I'll talk about the marathon, the Saudi, um, but for me, someone that hasn't done any sports in, in years and then decides to go and run and train for a five kilometer deserves equal amount of respect. 
And for me, it's around how do you push yourself, get out of your comfort zone. And for me, because of the level I was at, that was the Marathon de Sable. But equally for someone that hasn't done sports and, and wants to go and train for a five kilometer, that's equally, equally impressive. So I just want to like reiterate that point because I think it's an important one for, for people to know. Um, so let's talk about the Marathon de Sable. Um, I decided to Google um, hardest races in the world. Um, that's how it started. Um, and I found, um, you'd be surprised how many hard races there are in the world, but um, this one was described by the BBC as the toughest foot race in the world. So I thought like, okay, that's a catchy tagline. Sounds like, sounds like something for me to do, probably ticks the what the fuck box. Um, so I started reading up a little bit on it. Um, there were a few Belgian um, men and women actually that had done it in the past, but there were not that, not that many. Um, so I got in contact with them. They all told me not to do it. Um, so I decided, okay, cool. That gave me, of course, even more energy. Um, so I signed up for it. Um, then it's all about training, right? As I, like my advice on, on the marathon, the Sabres, anyone can do it. Literally anyone can finish the marathon, the Sabre, if you are willing to put the hours in the training, if you are willing to put the work. Um, I'll spare you the whole training regime, but it was hard. It's painful. I got up at 3 a.m. to have breakfast so that it's digested by 5 a.m. Mm-hmm. When I start running like three or four hours before work to be at 9.30 in, in the office, I had a spa next door where they would put in a treadmill in the, in the sauna so they could simulate the heat for me. I would run with a backpack with 12 kilograms of washing powder in it to simulate the backpack that I would have to run with during the marathon, the Sabre. I would run with the backpack with two burners on my face in the, in the sauna at 5 a.m. So the, the training was hard. Was Nico, maybe um, for those not familiar, could you very quickly summarize what the marathon, the Sabre is, where it's held, oh. the amount of kilometers? <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. I should have probably started with it. Um, so it's a 250-kilometer self-sufficient running race through the Sahara, the Moroccan piece of the Moroccan uh, piece of the Sahara. Um, annually, it's held annually. It's held in April. Um, people from all over the world, around a thousand people start, uh, or at my time, a thousand people start, and around 600 finish. I think that um, it's the most important piece is that self-sufficient. So you basically have to carry all your food. Um, your sleeping gear, your medical equipment, all these, uh, all these things. And on average, you have temperatures of around 45 degrees. Um, we had peaks of around like 50 um, um, during the hot parts of the day. So that's a bit the summary on the, on the, on the challenge. And thank you, Hugo, for, for, for reminding me, because I always think that people know about this race, but it's not that, not that widely known. Um, so then, so you spend a lot of time training for it. Um, then the day comes um you get divided into not tents because well they provide a sail where you can sleep under um you have to bring your own mat sleeping bag etc and i was in the tent with six other belgian marines um which was great because back then i was a consultant at unilever and they were like six marines so they asked me what do you do? And I'm like, I'm a consultant at uh, Unilever. And they looked at me for like, <laughs> like three that. or four seconds. <laughs> and they were like, uh, okay, cool, cool, cool. And then they started talking again about their missions in Afghanistan and Iraq. Um, 
but they were very, very, very nice um, people. And they were also like super caring um, because you go through a lot of emotions uh, in that race. And in the evening, generally, you see them again. Um, and they, they, they were like definitely um, very supportive. Um, so the race itself, um, you start every morning around like 4 or 5 a.m. just before sunrise. Um, it's running. It, people always think like uh, the desert is like flat and, uh, and, and just a bit of sand, but it's very, it has very varying landscape. Um, so you have dunes, you have pieces of like just rocks. Um, so it's very, very varying. Um, it's a very grueling race. And for me, the grueling race is not the physical part because you prepare for it. Yeah, you'll have pains, you'll have wounds in your feet, blisters and all these kind of things, but you can solve that. The hardest part for me was the mental part. And where they play mental games is that on your chest, again, this was in my time, which is already seven, eight, nine, maybe 10 years ago, um, you had a flare. And they strapped the flare to, your, to the front of your backpack. Um, and you constantly have a voice in your head when you're running, because you run six, eight, 10 hours a day, most of the time by yourself, um, you have a voice in your head that says, just stop, just stop and pull the flare. Because the moment you pull the flare, a helicopter will come, you will get evacuated out, you go to a hospital, etc., and it's all well. So you constantly have this voice that tells you to, to stop. And that for me was the hardest part is like, to get rid of that voice. And if I draw a parallel with um, starting a business and, uh, uh, starting a business, I think there a lot of, you, you will see very similar things where you, when you're having maybe a bit of like anxiety, you constantly have that voice as well that tells you like things are going to go wrong. You will fuck up. You're not going to succeed. Um, and uh, I think that's, a, that, that's something I learned at least during the Marathon de Sables, try to switch that off, try to move that voice out of, out of your head. But that was definitely the hardest part for me about the running race is the constant, the voice or the devil on your shoulder telling you to stop. And that for me is definitely also the hardest part about starting a business is that constant fear of failure. Tell us about the, the finish feeling when you, when you made it, the marathon, the sun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, while you're asking the question, I can see myself uh, go, go back there. Um, I've... I've done a lot of, uh, I've done a few things before that in my life, but I never succeeded with like something that big. And when I came over the finish line, I, I, I cried a lot. <laughs> um, but it's also the first time in my life that I felt I accomplished something. Um, and I had the same feeling when I finished my first marathon. And when I speak to people that finish a race, be it a five-kilometer running race, a 20-kilometer cycling race, when you train towards something and you get over that finish line, that feeling of, wow, I've done something. And that's a feeling like even now, 10 years down the line, I can still feel it uh, when I, on how I went over the finish line. And that's why I think... That sense of accomplishment is probably something that a lot of people strive to achieve also when they start their business. Um, but if you want to get, even if you're not an entrepreneur, you want to get that feeling and that sense of accomplishment. For me, doing a race or a physical challenge and finishing that gave me a feeling of, uh, gave me a feeling of accomplishment. So um, 
yeah, it was a, it, it's something that, that stuck, stuck with me. It helped that like my parents came down there and, and some of my friends stood at the finish line. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's an amazing feeling. What didn't help is that I was on so much painkillers. Like I think the last, like <laughs> the last one day, they even gave like morphine pills and et cetera. And sometimes like zombies strolling through the desert. Like, um, and I definitely had a, a fair share of that because I had a lot of, well, on the first day I had blisters, but then towards the end, they were becoming like open wounds on my feet. And you can imagine like running six or eight hours in the sand just becomes sanding paper. So it, it wasn't pretty, but, uh, Thank you, painkillers. <laughs> Fantastic note to end this recording on, Nico. Really great to have you. Thanks for uh, sharing all your stories, both business challenges and everything else. It was great to have you. Thank you, Hugo. It's a, it's, it was a pleasure to share these and uh, we'll speak soon. Cheers. <laughs>